0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Desi Crime Podcast. I'm Aryan, your host for this episode.
1: And I'm Ishwaraya.
0: Before we start the case for today, we want all of you to go over to our Patreon and subscribe for amazing exclusive features like merch, awesome extra episodes, early access episodes, video calls with us and more. To help the podcast out and to avail these benefits, go to www.patreon.com slash desicrime and select a tier that works best for you. We'd like to thank our latest patron, Pradeep Kumar. Thank you for any and all contributions you make in helping run this podcast. One cardiovascular aberration after another, stroke after stroke, heart attacks galore in the Thomas household. One anomaly is understandable, but four, that's a bit much, especially when the patients are in their 40s and 50s, and then appears out of thin air a will that allegedly of Tom Thomas, almost as if it was conjured by someone who would benefit from it. Rojo Thomas believed that that someone was none other than the newly appointed matriarch of the Thomas household, Jolly Amma Joseph. But why would Jolly, a beloved member of the pink Punamattam palace, be involved in the charade? Was this a plot against Jolly Or was everything a plot by her long before anyone even laid a suspicious eye on her? Welcome back to part two of the jarring story of Jolly Amma Joseph. Before we get on with the case, just a small announcement, guys. Our parent company, The Lost Debate, has recently changed its name to The Branch. And we'll have more about this announcement in our next Giant Chitty episode where we tell you what this change is all about. But for now, just know that our email has changed to desicrime at More about this later. Eshwara, for now, can you do some housekeeping for us? Because I did leave you on a cliffhanger.
1: Absolutely. And this was kind of a complicated case because I think for starters, the Thomas family tree is worth getting straight right off the bat.
0: Yeah, not only is it like a convoluted family tree, it feels like someone is plucking leaves off of it (laughs) one after the other. Who is alive? Who is dead? And yeah, who is who Ishwara?
1: Right, exactly. So uh, at the center of the story is our protagonist, or dare I say, our antagonist, who is mm-hmm. Jolly Amma Joseph. She was married into the Thomas family. Her husband was Roy Thomas. Roy is one of the autumn leaves, so to say. He is no more. Roy and Jolly have two sons, Rolando and Romo. Roy's parents, Tom Thomas and Annama Thomas, are both dead. Roy has an uncle, Matthew, and he too is dead. Finally, Roy has two siblings, Rojo and Renji, who are now the flag bearers of the Thomas bloodline. The onus to get to the bottom of the disputed property and ominous signs fall onto their shoulders. But Renji is in Colombo and Rojo in the US. There is only so much dialogue that can ensue between the disputed parties continents apart. In 2018 though, Rojo decides to take decisive action. He comes to India, hires a private investigator and goes digging for all the documents where he finds the autopsy of his brother Roy. The autopsy doesn't have any glaring anomaly. It tells him what he already knew. That when Roy died, he had trace amounts of cyanide in his bloodstream owing to a suicide.
0: And just to remind all of you, Roy was an unemployed alcoholic in debt. Suicide wasn't completely out of left field.
1: Exactly. But I think what was out of left field for Rodo was the cliffhanger you left us on. For the longest time, Jolly claimed that Roy's last meal was lunch on the fateful day in 2012. Turns out, according to the autopsy, his last meal was at 8.30pm. Ergo, dinner. He had, in fact, eaten the food that was prepared by Jolly. Thus, the likelihood of him being poisoned rather than have committed suicide is far more. But that's merely speculation. Jolly has done nothing weird or wrong up until this point, other than the fact that people are just randomly dying. So, Aran, what's the truth behind all of this? What was actually happening inside this house?
0: In his pursuit of resolving the property dispute, then 44-year-old Rojo Thomas stumbled across a breadcrumb. And he knew where there is one, there are many. One by one, the trail of hints took form. Besides the autopsy, Rojo's primary concern at the moment was still the property papers. Because if you put yourself in his position, it's still not a hundred percent evident that Jolly had anything to do with the deaths. Always mm. remember, hindsight is twenty twenty. We as listeners have a tendency to gloss over details with an irrational certitude because they seem so obvious. But if someone in your family is really loved and respected, imagine how unbelievable it would be to even suggest, let alone believe, that they were responsible for someone's death. But as I said, as Rojo followed the trail of breadcrumbs, his suspicion grew almost as strong as yours, Ashwarya. Rojo's RTI, the right to information request to the revenue department, was finally availed. The revelation of these documents were the last straw. For almost a decade now, the Thomas siblings had been led to believe by Jolly that Tom, her father-in-law, had transferred 50% of the Poonamattam house to her. The revenue department documents revealed a couple of things. Firstly, before Tom died, there was a will signed by Tom with the recognizable witnesses, which was sealed according to which the inheritance was structured so very differently. For starters, because Tom had given Jolly the money from the paddy field he had sold, the original will claimed that the Poonamattam property would consequently go to the other two kids, Rojo and Renji, not Jolly. Forget splitting it equally in thirds between the siblings, Tom didn't want an inch of it to go to Roy and Jolly. But of course, as we know, after Tom's death, Jolly produced a will which claimed that more than half of the Poonamattam property belongs to her. The siblings had eventually caved to her insistence because Jolly did in fact have a close relationship with Tom. But as we pointed out in the last episode, this was a flimsy will. It wasn't sealed properly, it was signed by unknown witnesses, and it didn't have the proper format. But another document obtained through the RTI made Jolly's deceit extravagantly obvious. Rojo obtained the property transfer papers of the Poonamattam house, which are separate from the will. These papers were not signed by Tom. Through her connections in the local government, Jolly was able to get the property transferred to herself without a peep to anyone else. But obviously the transfer papers weren't signed because Tom never approved the transfer because Tom, like his original will stated, did not want the property to go to Roy. He wanted the property to go to his younger children. As this came into the foray, Rojo demanded a reinvestigation both into the forgery of papers as well as a re-examination of the natural causes attributed to Roy's death. Initially, the case went back to the Thamesare local police station, which was responsible for hastily adjudging the death as natural twice in the past. This time, however, with irrefutable evidence that at the very least evinced discrepancies, the local police station knew that this case was going to be completely out of their wheelhouse. And thus, it was transferred to the Code Rural Police. Now, I know guys, I know. In the last episode, I called it Cozy Code <laughs> instead of Code, And y'all lovingly educated me as to what the pronunciation is. So... To wash my North Indian sins, I went to Kerala this weekend. And while I was at the airport, I asked a local Keralite how Kori code is pronounced. Here's a little education for all of us North Indians. All right, guys, so I'm here at the airport in Trivandrum, and I got all the hate from you guys for mispronouncing Cozy uh, code. So here in Kerala, I'm asking a Keralite how Cozy code is actually pronounced, and I'll learn it for the next episode.
1: Actually, it's Kori code. Kori all
0: right, it's Kori code. Thank you so much.
1: <laughs> oh my god. You guys, look at how scared Arian is of you all. He travelled across <laughs> states, traversed the country and stopped poor <laughs> random travellers who had no interest in talking to him just to get the right pronunciation. <laughs> but he got it. So
0: Hey now, hey now. They they were very interested in talking to me. Don't no, and say I that, can't even be the but, one laughing. Uh... I
1: don't think I knew the right pronunciation either. So... <laughs>
0: Right, Ashwara. like in our, you know, in our meager defense, I I would say ZHI, you know, Uh the ZHI in Kori code should be pronounced cozy, like spell it differently. But nonetheless, nonetheless, (laughs) I admit ignorance and I appreciate your grace. And I honestly felt like I was about to be canceled in our Instagram Mm -hmm. DMs. I'm just kidding. Y'all are extremely loving. Some of you at least. But, but pronouncing Code isn't going to save Jolly from the fate that awaits her. Now the reopened investigation has been handed to a bigger, more capable police unit, the Coricode Rural Police Department. Superintendent KG Simon of the Code Rural Police finally reopens the case. Now an adept police force passes through the autopsy from 2012. Quote, the final report said that there was nothing suspicious about his death and stated that it was a case of suicide. Later, when we inspected the file, we found that there were traces of cyanide and the police had not found from where he'd gotten the cyanide. We asked the court permission for reinvestigation. A team headed by crime branch DYSP Haridasan was constituted and in the last two months, we found that there had been several deaths in this family. We decided to investigate further as the deaths were similar and the presence of one woman was common in all the deaths. End quote. This was said by Officer Simon. That one woman was Jolly Amma Joseph.
1: I know it's interesting when any investigation begins, at the beginning you obviously have not too much evidence to convict any one person. There's nobody to blame conclusively. Yet, slowly, as time, as evidence gathers, there start to emerge weird coincidences first. It's not conclusive proof immediately. Mm -hmm. It's just a hundred tiny coincidences, all of which together make you go what is happening. And I think we're at that point in this case, where everyone's noticing these really, really freaky coincidences and going like, is it possible? Is it in our wildest dreams possible that all of these events just happened? So this is really Really started to look bad for her, but it's not quite there yet. But yeah, it's it's getting there.
0: Ashwara, the investigation had begun in August of 2019. After months of wading through the evidence and creating an airtight case for the prosecution, on 5th October 2019, that woman was finally arrested, and we are back to where this case began. Jolly being escorted by the police through the narrow passage leading to the Poonamattam house for an evidence drive. And we are back to a neighbourhood where this lady is a devil and an angel simultaneously. But black and white is too simple a framework to understand human beings, let alone an alleged criminal. She's not a devil and certainly not an angel. This case isn't about to be black and white as the locals so badly want to believe. As they see crime cases are. It's brown, it's murky, and it requires us to peel the onion layer by layer and understand truly who Jolly Joseph is. What did the police find out about her in the last three and four months that they were investigating her case? Where does she come from and what does she want? Jolly Amma Joseph was born in the foothills of the Western Ghats in Kattapana. Imagine a dense lush green canopy, pepper and cardamom plantations all around, the fragrances of spices melting into the vapid humidity. Maybe I'm leaning into my newfound love for Kerala, but in all (laughs) sincerity, the quaint and small village in which she was born didn't feel poor owing to its beauty. But don't judge a book by its cover and certainly don't judge a village by its flora. This was an agrarian family, and like many agrarian families in India, they struggled. It wasn't a desolate upbringing, but it certainly wasn't one of abundance either. Jolly's parents, C.C. Joseph and Trissy Amma, made ends meet, harvest to harvest. And the Joseph household had many mouths to feed after all. Jolly was the second youngest of six children. Oh my god. <laughs> In addition to the pepper farm, the family ran two ration shops under the government's public distribution system. Now, whenever you dive into a criminal's past, or an alleged criminal's past, as in this case, their childhood reveals a lot. Not only does it humanize the criminal, for it shows the multifactorial causation of what makes a human, human. Because don't forget that criminals too are human, even if their actions are inhumane. But more importantly, it also opens up the criminal to psychoanalysis by us. Now, as amazing as Freud's toolkit to dissect the metaphorical mind is, It is a fallible toolkit. It isn't perfect. Nor are we as practitioners of psychoanalysis perfect users, far from it actually. We project our own preconceived notions onto the individual being assessed. All this is to say that when I go over instances of Jolly's childhood, refrain from the natural tendency to attribute all her actions to her relationship with a mom or a dad, etc. It's a trap one can easily fall into. But the warning aside, there were clear signs from a very early age that distinguished not only Jolly's childhood, but her personality as well. Like most Indian kids, Jolly had a strict father. Ashwara, millennials and Gen Z, we are unable to fathom parenting as a concept. And Hmm. here are boomers and beyond raising six kids. Of course you'd be strict or else you'll lose your mind.
1: Yeah, no, a six-kid household feels like a school more than a household. You have so much to (laughs) take care of. And I think a school might actually be less pressure because you're not responsible for raising all six of them in a school. But a household is just the added pressure. It must be crazy.
0: But Ishwara, this arrangement, it's complicated by... A serious problem about of postnatal depression experienced by Jolly's mother. So, postnatal or postpartum depression, for those of you who don't know, is a form of depression that appears after a parent, typically a mother, gives birth to a child. What causes it ranges from genetics to a history of mental health disorders. But the symptoms include insomnia, loss of appetite, intense irritability, and difficulty bonding with the baby. The last one can be particularly hard both on the child and the family. Some sources suggest that Jolly's mother, Thresiyama experienced just this, leading to a fraught relationship with her kids, including Jolly.
1: Yeah, if you all ever hear cases of mothers killing their newborn children, so many times, so often, those mothers eventually either realize or actually get diagnosed with postpartum depression. So it's a, firstly, it's an incredibly common phenomena mm, very that common. so many women go through. But secondly, it's so common among women who've had really, really fraught relationships with their children.
0: Yeah, yeah. But but Ashwara, still none of this explains An emerging personality trait of Jolly's that became more apparent as she grew up. A deep yearning for power, affluence and wealth. These three desires are vicious enough in and of themselves, but an amalgamated rendition of all three is particularly dangerous. Despite being from humble origins, Jolly had this deep-seated drive for more But perhaps not despite, but because of her humble origins, Jolly had this yearning to climb the ladder of society. But that's why I warn you not to indulge too much in Freud's psychoanalytical tools, for this theory doesn't explain why her five other siblings with the same exact background chose different paths to live a life bereft of murders. But the flip side of ambition is that it drives you to be better. And Jolly was not a friend. Jolly was the first in her family to pursue a higher education. Quote, she was a bright student, recounts her brother Nobi. That is why Chachan, or father, decided to send her for higher studies. End quote. Juxtaposed to this hard-working and studious girl was another facet of her personality. A conniving thief. In her adolescence, she was caught for stealing money. Now, Kids steal money, Ashwara, from their parents. That doesn't make them murderers. Have you ever stolen money from your parents?
1: Actually, in complete honesty, I have never stolen money from my parents. Maybe something small like 10 rupees, 5 rupees, like an extra round of golgappe Pay and I don't want to tell anyone or whatever. <laughs> um, but no, never never bigger amounts. Never for an act that I needed to hide.
0: Eshwara, I'm the same. Not that I'm a saint, but I haven't stolen from my mom either. However... I vividly remember using tweezers to pull out money from my piggy bank to (laughs) fund Uber rides to my then-girlfriend's house. As you can imagine, many currency notes were torn in this inefficient endeavor. (laughs) Kids, tell your parents about your love affair so you can take Ubers in peace and not have to hide it. But yeah, this detail from Jolly's life wouldn't have stood out had it been a function of, you know, just being a kid goofing around. But these tendencies didn't end during her school years. Deceit and slyness accompanied her into college. While pursuing her BCom degree at a private college in Pala called MES College, Nedumkandam, she stole a gold bangle from a dorm room which obviously flared an incident. In fact, when her dad found out what his daughter was doing, this man who works his ass off at a farm to send his kids to college was naturally disappointed. Not that it was justified, but he beat her up so badly, breaking her arm in the process. Oh my God. But if you think a broken arm curtailed her conniving spirit, she only doubled down. Deceitfulness on her part didn't stop there. After finishing her bachelor's in commerce, she wanted to pursue a master's in the same field her proud father happily enrolled her in a parallel college in Kattapana for a master's in commerce. The ambitious jolly completed her master's with flying colours, except she didn't. That's what she told her family and everyone else, when actually she had already dropped out in the first year of the course itself. Okay, now a little Freudian psychoanalysis is justified. This kid who lied every now and then grew up to be an adult that lied all the time. Jolly, in my opinion, evinced some sociopathic traits. It should then come as no surprise that apart from whatever love she had for Roy, he too was a conduit for her desires. He was from a well-established, educated family. For someone from her social milieu, this was like striking gold. Her marriage was a means to an end, the end being power, respect and affluence.
1: So Aran, do we know that from the very beginning, from the get go, this marriage was a marriage to reach a specific goal? Or did she actually love him and just somewhere along the way her, her traits and her I guess, previous attitudes took over and she realized she could get more out of this?
0: Ashwara, I am not sure. So some sources say that they were well and truly in love. But from mm. my reading of this case, I think there was a calculation on her. Part again, this is this okay. is a speculation, okay. right? But from whatever I've read about her, whatever about her that is about to be revealed, I think there was some cold calculation and arithmetic going behind mm. her decisions, even if there was an element of love involved. Her own father accused Jolie of vanity. Quote, her father would complain that she would easily spend money to live lavishly and only be happy blowing up money, according to a neighbor. According to her own brother, Nobi, quote, she loved to eat fish and meat. We could afford it, but it was too extravagant to have such delicacies every day, end quote. But Aishwarya, if she was capable of lying about all these things, her honest intentions to marry, stealing relentlessly, and not even being a postgraduate, remember that's something her mother-in-law used to brag yeah. about, then what else is she capable of lying about? Turns out, everything. Much like her name, Jolly was a mask. Hiding behind it was a sharp, shrewd, and strategical woman. Remember how Jolly found a teaching job within a week of Annamar asking her to find one? There was no teaching job. It was a plain lie. And remember how she claimed an even more prestigious second job at NIT Corigood? There was no professorship because there was no postgraduate degree. This was a web of lies tailored into one knot after the other.
1: Wait, hold on, but didn't she visit NIT every day? She even purchased a Honda City, I remember, to commute to Korykod. Like, I don't know, this seems incredibly elaborate. Where was she going so much of the time in her day?
0: Eshwara, the farce had to be anchored with one lie and more lies. Facade upon facade Eshwara, yes, she used to go to NIT, but later investigations revealed that she just went to the canteen and spent an inordinate <laughs> time hanging around there. Oh my God. NIT's Registrar Lieutenant Colonel Pankaj K. confirmed to CNN that there was no mention of her on the staffing roll calls. She also acquired a fake NIT ID card, but her name appeared on no register or nor did any of the staff recognize her. In fact, there is a darker version of the story, Ashwarya, There are conspiratorial claims that Jolly used to run webcam brothels by renting out nearby apartments and used it to blackmail high-ranking officials. While police did uncover properties around NIT rented out in Jolly's name, which is very weird, there was no evidence for the brothels and these seem to be sensationalized sort of offshoots of the entire case.
1: That's really crazy. I don't know. We hear of all kinds of weird, unique, I guess, in ordinary occupations. But running webcam brothels? purely for the purpose of blackmailing high-ranking officials. It's just, I think, another level of genius.
0: Aishwarya, the 21st century has given rise to new jobs like <laughs> podcasting, AI jobs, and webcam brothels. <laughs> but all of this can be waved off as a harmless lie, like or many harmless lies put together. I mean, yeah, they were harmful in other ways, but these lies don't claim anyone's lives. These are lies that, with enough and sincere apologies, can perhaps be forgiven. But Jolly's lies and lust for power metastasized into a darker drive, which became unforgivable. Annama Joseph loved her daughter-in-law. The bride was the pride of the family. Yet in August 2002, on that fateful day, it wasn't a heart attack that snatched Annama's last breath, but her beloved bride Jolly. Mixed in that mutton soup prepared by Jolly was dog poison. Jolly had resolved to claim Annama's role. She wanted to be the matriarch. She wanted control of the family's assets. She wanted the respect Annama commanded. This greed drove her to want to kill Annama. And some speculate Annama found out about the veracity of Jolly's NIT job and started revoking all the freedom she was afforded. A confluence of these pushed Jolly to take the final step, killing her mother-in-law. Nobody even laid an eye on Jolly who, over the years, successfully slipped into Annama's role. And not only did she slip into Annama's role as the matriarch, but also as a confidant to her husband, Tom Thomas. Jolly got very close to Tom. As we know, he gave all the money from the sale of the Paddy Field to Jolly, bought her a Honda City sedan, and on top of all of that, is rumoured that the two had a carnal relationship as well. Again, these are rumours, but a case like this is bound to be infested with rumours. Some true, while others are a working of some journalist's imagination. Regardless of whether the bride and father-in-law having sex trope applied here, Tom eventually must have realized something was off. Because despite all of Jolly's attempts to claim the Poonapatnam property for herself, Tom refused. The police suspect that's what tipped the scales. In order to secure the land and money for herself, what was another life? A mere hurdle to Jolly. One that cyanide could help her jump over. So on August 26, 2008, Jolly served Tom tapioca garnished with cyanide. Now, cyanide is the crime genre's favourite modus operandi. Agatha Christie used it as a creative crutch deployed to murder many of her characters. But very few of us actually know how it works. Some of you might have heard the urban legend that eating apple seeds can kill you because it has cyanide in it. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, so just like I gave you a brief lesson into succinylcholine during the Nadia Malik episode, I'm sure it'll do your forensic brain some good if you learn how cyanide works as well. Cyanide is any compound typified by the carbon and nitrogen bond. So many compounds are thus cyanide, sodium cyanide, potassium cyanide, hydrogen cyanide. Since they all have a carbon-nitrogen bond, they're called cyanide. Now, what makes this carbon-nitrogen bond special from an academic standpoint, certainly not special for the victim, is its ability to tweak our mitochondria when ingested. Mitochondria, which every Indian knows is the quote powerhouse of the cell, (laughs) flounders when cyanide impedes its ability to use oxygen. Hence, the body stops producing energy. Consequently, cells and tissues expend their final reserves and begin decaying and atrophying. Not only does that lead to an inevitable death, it leads to a pretty quick death. So your high school biology textbooks weren't kidding. You need your mitochondria. And as for the apple seeds killing you myth, listen. They do have cyanide, but in order for it to be poisonous, you'll have to consume, quote, anywhere from 150 to several thousand crushed seeds to cause cyanide poisoning, according to Britannica. Also, you're pretty weird for eating apple seeds on purpose anyway.
1: say, yeah.
0: <laughs> in Tom's case, the police suspect the presence of sodium cyanide in the tapioca dish she prepared for him. But since no autopsy was performed, determining the presence of cyanide 11 years after his death is extremely tough. Since they were Christians, however, Tom's body was buried. This proved advantages for the investigators. They were able to exhume his body, a process wherein a buried corpse is dug out, and sought to perform a mitochondrial DNA analysis. Quote, extraction of DNA is a difficult process, especially on older remains. The first death in Kudathai happened 17 years ago, end quote, according to Kerala DGP Loknath Behera. But if Tom and Annama were killed for power... Why was Roy killed? What power was there to gain from Roy? He was the family loser. So why would she kill the father of her own children? This is where Jolly's lust for power shows another shade. A lust for, well, just plain old lust. Jolly was allegedly a sexually promiscuous woman. Having a husband was holding her back from indulging in this next set of desires for which she hungered. Some suspect she had affairs dating before Roy's death but certainly the nail in this coffin was marked because a his existence held her back from sleeping around and b he was a financial burden to her. To her killing Roy was simple mathematics more money and more sex for her and so in a similar manner as his father Roy died a bitter and painful death at the hands of the love of his life mixed in his black gram curry and water with cyanide. After dinner, violent puking and nausea finally culminated into an untimely and miserable death.
1: So Aran, this is just a clarification. I know you said that there's cyanide in apple seeds, but I doubt Jolly is stupid enough to be crushing thousands and thousands of (laughs) apple seeds and making all of that herself. How is she getting her hands on this? And I, I don't even know, is this easily available?
0: So, great question, Ashwarya. And that's a perfect segue for me to expound on the sexual promiscuity angle of this case. So, you're right. Cyanide doesn't grow on trees. Like, metaphorically, it doesn't grow on trees. But, you know, apples do grow on trees. But it's not available (laughs) easily. Jolly had accomplices. M.S. Matthew is a 44-year-old jewelry shop employee who was a close friend slash relative of Jolly. He paid 5,000 rupees and a bottle of alcohol to another jewelry store employee... 48-year-old Prajikumar, who provided the potassium cyanide. Why jewelry store employees? Because cyanide is used in the jewelry business for electroplating and has other chemical applications. And you're right in wondering just how close M.S. Matthew and Jolly were. Many allege a sexual relationship between the two, while nastier rumors suggest a three-way triangle with Prajikumar involved. Wow. Now, Project Kumar pleads innocence, claiming that he was informed that the poison was for rats. If so, he's found himself in dire straits and so has MS Matthew who pleads innocence as well. Next on Jolly's cards was Matthew Manjidigal, Tom's brother. He had to perish simply because he was curious. He sent something awry earlier than anyone else and he pushed for an autopsy into Roy. His presence posed a risk. Again, a simple arithmetic equation to Jolly. Just kill him. Problem solved. For any equation X plus Y, Jolly supplemented the variables without a second thought. X is death and Y is using suicide. She gifted Matthew whiskey laced with cyanide. In 2014, when Matthew must have opened that bottle to sit back and relax, little did he know it was the final time he'd be enjoying a beverage. Before the alcohol could calm his nerves, the cyanide had seized his nervous system. Matthew died, much like his brother. Now, if you thought this story is bewildering and beyond your wildest dreams, it takes another turn that frankly I couldn't believe while researching for this case. This case is a blinding sandstorm of sensationalised murders and rumours. False flags lie all around. But in it is an indisputable new revelation. Let's welcome Shahju Zakaria, Roy's cousin. And he too is another one of Jolly's quote, friends. Their sexual escapades are rumored to have begun even before Roy was killed. But setting aside the rumors, it's not a question of if Shaju and Jolly had a relationship because they ended up marrying each other. It is a wow. question of when it began. And we can say with certainty that it was definitely blossoming in 2014 when Jolly allegedly killed Shaju’s youngest daughter. What? Yes, Shaju was married to a woman named Siley and had two kids, an older son and a two-year-old daughter named Alphine. After the death of Roy Thomas, our wily widow had found her next partner, Shaju Zakaria. Sile had always warned Shaju to stay away from Jolly and objected to Shaju's financial dealings with her. This did not sit well with Jolly. On May 3, 2014, during Shaju's eldest son's Holy Communion, a sacrilegious act was committed. Their daughter, Alphine, who was barely two years old, died apparently from choking on food. But does choking on food make you froth at your mouth? Police suspect it wasn't choking on the food, but the food itself that killed the two-year-old. Since it was their kid's communion, Sile and Shaju were occupied with the event, and so the responsibility of taking care of Alfine went to her loving Aunt Jolly. Jolly spread cyanide on bread like it was butter and fed the toddler the poison meal. Each piece of bread dipped in the chicken curry and forcefully fed to the kid caused her ultimate demise. The cyanide kicked in and the baby appeared to choke. She was rushed to the hospital but succumbed to the cyanide. But the cause of death was written off as choking. The bigger hurdle still remained. Siley, Shaju's wife. The equation remained unchanged. X plus Y is equal to problem solved. Where X is murder and Y, Aishwarya, is... It's the cyanide. Damn right it is. See, you always say you're bad at math, but sprinkle in some true crime and look (laughs) at you go. Two years later, on 11th of January 2016, Shaju left for his dental appointment and was accompanied by Siley and Jolly. While Shaju was with the dentist, Jolly gave cyanide-coated pills to Siley. Shouts from outside made Shaju rush to find his wife on Jolly's lap, eliciting the same symptoms that his daughter displayed two years ago. As Siley's brother tried to rush her to the hospital, Jolly and Shaju stopped him and called it an epileptic seizure for which Shaju left to get pills. Till then, Siley remained unconscious and untreated. Jolly then feigned concern, sought to take the dying wife to a hospital. But instead of going to the nearby Taluk Hospital or the private hospital of Thamasari in their vicinity, she took the longest 10km route possible to a distant hospital. Of course, like clockwork, Siley was dead on arrival.
1: Aran some cases are crazy for just the way the crime is committed. Other crimes are crazy just for the nature of the victims. This crime to me is crazy just for the sheer magnitude. Like, it's just one woman and every person she wishes to get out of her way, any person that causes even a slight problem to whatever she envisions for herself, she just ups and kills them. Like, it's kind of crazy.
0: Yeah, it's so easy. It just it's has it's her nat her reflexive response is murder. Right. You it's, know, like our reflexes are like itching, or you know, you catch a ball reflexively. Her just innate reflex seems to be murder. Yeah, of course, that's the solution.
1: Weird.
0: According to the Huffington Post, M.K. Mubarak, an administrative officer at the Santi Hospital in Omaseri, said, quote, Shaju vociferously refused the duty doctor's insistence that post-mortem should be conducted, end quote, on his first wife, Siley, after she succumbed to what appeared to be an acute case of breathlessness. Siley was declared dead at 6.45pm on 11th January 2016. Quote, the doctor P. Shamsir, who treated Saili, had a hunch based on his medical investigation that Saili could not have died of natural causes, according to Mubarak. He had communicated the same to Shahju and other relatives who were present at the hospital. Shaju Skarya, however, insisted that the death can only be natural and that post-mortem should not be conducted, end quote. When the hospital continued to push for an autopsy, Shaju signed a document which stated that the post mortem should not and could not be conducted, despite the hospital's insistence that it should. Once it was abundantly certified that Siley had died, the police later found a text exchange between Jolie and Shaju. One of them stated, quote, "All clear." Wow. Six deaths in a family." one woman present through all of them, five suspected heart attacks, and one toddler choking on bread and chicken curry. This narrative was soon inverted by the police's investigation. The narrative now became six murders in a family, one suspect present through all of them, five cyanide poisonings, and one using dog poison. Several arrests have been made. Jolly, according to the police, has confessed to her crimes. Matthew and Prajik Kumar were arrested. In addition, a local Muslim organization leader was arrested for helping forge the will documents. Several others are persons of interest. On January 1, 2020, the police filed the first charge sheet for the murder of Roy Thomas. 8,000 pages and 246 witnesses and Jolie's confession were used against her. On 17th January 2020, the second charge sheet for the murder of Siley, 1,020 pages, 165 witnesses. On 4th Feb, the police filed Matthews' charge sheet, 2,016 pages and 718 witnesses. And on 19th Feb, Undermas charge sheet, 1,069 pages and 175 witnesses. The burgeoning heap of files and evidence was stacked against Jolly and her accomplices. The court trial of this case began on March 6th of this year, 2023.
1: What? I feel like I've been hearing about this case forever.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was shocked that it just began this year. But I guess just the amount of investigation required and of course the Indian judicial system, I guess. But it, it took a phenomenally long time compared to some other cases we have covered. In fact, forensic analysts uh, recently revealed cyanide was only found in Roy and Siley's system. But with Jolly's own son, Roland, testifying against her mother, there's no escaping this mess. A woman that was lovingly welcomed into a family, sowed and nurtured the seeds of its ultimate demise. Power corrupts, and in yearning for it, Jolly destroyed an entire lineage of Kudathai. And for What? as she will spend the rest of her days in a prison cell. She will not yearn for power, but probably for cyanide. This time, however, for herself.